Have you ever been, you ever been asked to do a job and then later you thought, wait a minute, this wasn't what I signed up for? Um, how many of you ever had a job where you had in your job description something called other duties as assigned, right? Anybody raise your hand? I've had many jobs where I lived under that nebulous banner of other duties as assigned. Now, oftentimes, oftentimes misunderstanding your job responsibilities and requirements, it can actually lead to horrible consequences. Um, It can lead to discouragement. It could lead to burnout. It could lead to ultimately to failure. Um, We saw this a lot when I was working at IBM. But unfortunately, misunderstanding what a job is supposed to be about, it doesn't just, it's not something that just happens in the professional world. This is also something that happens in the church. Confusion abounds over the responsibilities and requirements of pastors in the local church. Now, I've been struck over this pandemic of how many pastors, at least in the pastors that I kind of know of in this area and in this country, have suddenly taken upon themselves many new job responsibilities. So some pastors have suddenly become vocal experts in a wide variety of complex fields. So public health policy, epidemiology, uh, microbiology, uh, they're constitutional experts. It's, it's, it's been profound to see that transformation. Now, I love reading uh, dead pastors. And so there was a, a dead pastor named Theodore Beza, who was John Calvin's successor in Geneva. And there was a really bad plague that hit Geneva in the late 1500s. And he wrote a, a treatise on how we're supposed to think about the plague. And this is what Beza said. And I think this is a wiser approach. Quote, if the ministers would not dispute about infectiousness, which belongs to the physicians, but by their life and doctrine, stir up the people to earnest repentance, love and charity towards one another, then the sheep themselves would hear clearly and heed the voice of their pastors. It's wise words from Reverend Beza. Now. The questions we need to ask are are these. Number one, what are are pastors supposed to be? What are pastors supposed to do? How are pastors supposed to do their work? Why should pastors do their work? And then probably the one you might be thinking is, what do pastors and their work have to do with you and with your following Jesus? All of these questions are answered in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. If you're not used to looking at a Bible, it's in the New Testament. And it's on page 1016. And the big number, 5, is the chapter number. And the little number, those sentence numbers, those are verses. We're going to be reading big number 5, 1 down to verse 5. I'll give you the context in a minute. Let's fix this passage in our minds. This is what Holy Scripture says. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ 
as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The outline of this passage will be clear as we go through it. There are five questions and five answers that we find in this passage about what elders, what pastors ought to be and what they ought to do and how they relate to you. So you might be thinking, hey, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an elder. What in the world should I do for the next hour and a half as I'm doing this sermon, right? That's the joke. It's not an hour and a half long, but well, here's my appeal to you at the beginning. Most of us in this room may not ever be pastors, but all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. This passage was inspired by the Holy Spirit through the apostle Peter for your good and for Christ's glory. And you may never be a pastor, but God in his infinite wisdom thinks that you need to know what a pastor is and what a pastor does. If you're a member of a church, you need to know what a pastor looks like, sounds like, and does. So this isn't just a a message directed to the elders of this church. I will make application to the elders, but this is for all of us. This is for all of us. And to help you understand this, I want to fix an image in your mind. Many of us in this room have been to a wedding before. Maybe it's your own wedding, maybe other weddings. And when you go to a wedding, the father of the bride walks the bride down the aisle to the groom who's waiting at the front of the church. So in your mind, you think of a beautiful sanctuary and you think of the dad walking the, the, the radiant bride down the aisle to meet that expectant that expectant groom. My, when I officiate weddings, the favorite, my favorite thing to do is I, I peek at the bride, but I always look at the groom to see the look on his face. It's wonderful. So pastors are kind of like, underscore kind of like, the father of the bride. Pastors, elders, overseers are those who are walking the bride of Christ down the aisle to present that bride to the groom, the husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastors are supposed to lovingly, patiently, faithfully walk alongside the bride as long as it takes. And there might be multiple ones, but eventually to get the bride to the end of the aisle to meet Jesus. But instead of picturing all of this happening in a beautiful sanctuary. 
You need to imagine that the bride of Christ is walking down the aisle with the pastors, with the, with the, with the, the father, not in a sanctuary, but in the middle of a war zone. Where bullets are whizzing by and bombs are dropping and snipers are aiming and trip wires and IEDs are all around. The father of the bride, as it were, the pastors are walking the bride through a war zone to get the bride to Jesus, the bridegroom. Why am I using this image? Because of that word in verse one, so. You see that? So don't look at me, it's really important. All of that comes from one word, so. In your Bible, it may say, therefore. What has he just told us in verses 12 to 19 of chapter four? He's just told us, Peter has, that the church is in the world and will suffer for Jesus' sake. The church will endure fiery trials in this world for following Christ. And Peter calls the church to rejoice in these trials, even as they're mocked and insulted, even as they walk through the war zone of this world. Jesus is at the end. And how are they going to get there through these trials, through this war zone, through this suffering? With pastors shepherding them along the way. So in light of the suffering and trials that the, the church faces, Peter turns his attention and applies and exhorts the elders, the pastors, the shepherds, the overseers of the church to faithfully shepherd the flock of God, the local church down the aisle to meet Jesus. So that's the context. Five questions, five answers, and hopefully this will help us as we have this blood earnest image in our minds. Verse one, first question, who, who, who is giving these instructions about elders? Answer, Peter. Look there in verse one. So I, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Who's giving these instructions? The I there is the apostle Peter. Now notice, he says right there in verse one, I exhort the elders. If you study the word elders in the New Testament, it is synonymous. That is, it is used interchangeably with other words. Pastor, overseer, elder. These are all the different words that are talking about the same office, the office of pastor. And so Peter says to the elders, I'm exhorting this group of pastors, this group of elders of this congregation. If you want to see that, that in one place, look another time at Acts chapter 20. You'll see there in that passage, the word elder, overseer, pastor, shepherd, it's all used in the same place for the same job. So the office of elder, the office of pastor in the Bible is reserved for biblically qualified men. And we see these qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1. So notice there that Peter, writing to this congregation, says, I exhort the elders, plural. Do you see that? Peter 
is writing to a church that has a plurality of elders. Some of you grew up going to churches where you had a one pastor and tons of deacons. You had one pastor and lots of deacons. But what we see in the New Testament, there's nothing wrong with deacons. So if you're a deacon or uh, deacons are great, don't hear me the wrong way. But what the New Testament assumes is that in a regularly functioning church, you have a congregation with deacons, but a congregation with a plurality of elders, not just one pastor, several pastors, plural elders, plural. Let me give you this one example of this. Write this down. Acts 14 verse 22. Listen to what Paul and Barnabas do when they go back around to encourage the churches that they help plant. Acts 14, 22. They strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23. And when they had appointed elders... For them, notice this phrase, in every church. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Elders, plural, in every church, singular. So Peter is qualified, brothers and sisters, to exhort the elders of the church. Why is he qualified? Number one, you notice right there, he's an elder himself. Do you see that? He says, I exhort the elders among you. Notice, as a fellow elder. Do you see that? Now, in your Bibles, it does not say, I exhort the elders among you as the first pope. It's not what it says. Do you see what it says? Peter says, I can exhort you, elders, because I'm an elder. I'm a fellow shepherd. I'm a, I'm a co-pastor, just like you. And you think, well, where did, when did he get this calling, right? Remember in John 21, After Jesus is risen from the dead, Peter had denied Jesus. How many times, children? How many times did Jesus deny Peter? Three times. Exactly. Amen. There you go. Three. And so when Jesus is restoring Peter after his denial, Jesus asked him the same question. How many times? Three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? How kind of the Lord. Peter denied him three times and three times he he asks Peter, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, Lord, you know, I love you. You know, I love you. And then Jesus says to Peter. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And that language of feeding Tending, it's the same verb that's used here. To shepherd the flock of God. So Peter is charged right here in John 21 to shepherd Christ's sheep. That's what it means to be an elder. Peter's not only an elder, he's also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Do you see that? He was a witness. Peter was there for Jesus' entire public ministry. Peter was with Jesus in Gethsemane for a while before he fell asleep. He saw Christ on the cross from afar. He was a witness to the sufferings of Christ. 
And because he knows the elders and the church will suffer in this world, he says, look, I witnessed the chief shepherd suffering. And so I know I can be a faithful exhorter to you as you go through suffering. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand something about the significance of the sufferings of Christ. If you have your Bibles, just flip back to chapter two. Listen to what Peter tells us about the significance of Christ's sufferings. Chapter two, verse 21. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered, and notice this phrase, for you. You see, Christ suffered for in the place of his people, leaving us an example so that we might follow in his steps. And then here's an expression of of the significance of his sufferings. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like lost sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, friend, at the heart of the gospel is that our sins, our rebellion against God, our maker, deserve his just condemnation. We were made by God to live for God, and we're constantly receiving good gifts from God. But the Bible calls sin living our lives as if God didn't care, as if God wasn't real, as if God wasn't who he said he is. And we deserve to be condemned because of our rebellion. But in his mercy, he sent his son into the world who lived the life that we were supposed to live but haven't. And just as Peter tells us, he suffered for us. He took our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross. And he died and rose again to offer us forgiveness and righteousness and eternal life. The chief shepherd became a sacrificial lamb to die for his flock that had gone astray. And he did all of this because he loves us. And he offers us life in his name completely by grace. And so if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, this passage, as it's talking about shepherds, it's actually written to lost sheep like you and me. And I pray that you hear the voice of the good shepherd beckoning you to himself. Peter is a sharer and a witness of Christ's sufferings. but He's also a sharer of the coming glory. You see that? We'll talk about this in a minute, but he says he's a partaker, a sharer 
of the glory that is going to be revealed. There's glory. There's suffering now, yes, for following Jesus, but don't misunderstand. There is glory coming for Christians. You have a destiny that is glorious because of Christ. And so even in the suffering, Peter's saying, yes, I witnessed the Savior suffering, but I also saw on that Mount of Transfiguration, I saw a, a, a peak of the glory that's coming. So that is the, the who. Peter is qualified to speak to us and we should listen. That's the who. Number two, the what. The what. Verse two. We find in verse two what elders are supposed to do. Answer, shepherd the flock of God. You see it? Verse two. After all this buildup, we get to the main verb of the whole passage. If you're big in grammar, there it is. The main verb of this whole passage. Everything else explains, unpacks, and uh, details this verb. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's what the, the responsibility of pastors is to shepherd. Notice, they're to shepherd the flock. This is the same verb that Jesus gave Peter in John 21. Tend or shepherd my sheep. Now, what does that mean? Think about a shepherd. What a great image. What does a shepherd do for sheep? How many of you have been around sheep? Some of us have never been around sheep. Anybody? Okay, we have one person who's been around a sheep. Great, Scott, y'all got to get out more. Sheep are hilarious. They, if you're ever around sheep, they're not super bright. Okay, so when God calls us sheep, it's not a compliment, Right? They just wander off. They, 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 they're, they're, they nip at you. They're, they're not that bright. Well, what do shepherds do? What do shepherds do? Shepherds protect, they lead, they guide, they feed, and they care for sheep. That's what shepherds do. It's a full-time job. That's what Peter says. The chief way shepherds shepherd the flock, we know from other passages, is to feed the sheep the word of the living God. That's what shepherds primarily are called to do is to feed the sheep and equip them through God's word. Where do we know this? Ephesians chapter four tells us this. Ephesians chapter four, beginning in verse 11, Christ gave apostles and prophets and evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to do what? Namely, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And for the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, pastors, teachers, shepherds are called to equip you to do the work of the ministry that God's called us to in the local church. Secondly, notice that the elders are commanded to shepherd the flock of God. Do you see that? It's God's church. It's God's flock. The church is not the pastor's church. The church is God's church. It's his flock. Pastors will always come and go. But Jesus Christ remains the, 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 the head, the ruler of his church. The church belongs to him. Friend, if some of you leave and go someplace else because of your job or whatever, if you find yourself in a church that's increasingly about the pastor, that's called a cult. <laughs> it's, 
And you want to find another church. The church is built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. He is everything. So the, 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 the shepherd in a local church is shepherding his flock. It's God's flock. Acts 20, 28. Why is it, why is it his flock? Well, Acts 20, 28, Paul says this to the Ephesian elders. He says to the elders, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Same phrase, which he obtained with his own blood. It's God's flock because he bought it. He bought the church and obtained the church with the blood of his eternal son. He redeemed the church. So we owe ourselves to God twice over. He made us and he redeemed us. So Franconi Baptist Church, it's not my church. It's not your church. It's God's church. I don't care if you've been here 50 years or 50 minutes. This church belongs to him. He loves and cares for this church infinitely more than we ever, ever could. Third, Notice that the elders are to shepherd the flock of God that is among them. So the pastor, the elder, the shepherd isn't some bishop in another city. He's supposed to be a shepherd among his sheep. Um, If you're familiar with something called multi-site churches, it's always struck me as weird because you've got sheep in front of a screen with shepherds that are someplace else. It seems odd. It seems to go against what's going on here. So... What are elders, what are pastors, what are shepherds supposed to do? Answer, shepherd the flock of God. Now the question becomes, how? How do you do that? Well, that's number three. How? Verses two and three. How do elders shepherd the flock of God? Verses two to three, we find the answer to the question, how elders are supposed to go about doing it. And he uses three participial phrases to explain that main verb. Three ways or manners that the shepherds go about shepherding. Namely, they do it willingly, they do it eagerly, and they do it exemplary. Number one, you see it right there. The elders, overseers, you see it right there. The, 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 the way that they go about doing this, Peter says, first and foremost, is under this banner of what he says exercising oversight. Do you see that? Exercising oversight. A shepherd, an elder, an overseer, that's another word for pastor, exercises oversight. That is, God charges elders to give oversight to a congregation. The oversight is comprehensive. So in the New Testament, you see elders exercising oversight over areas like teaching and missions and church finances and planting and church discipline. It's comprehensive. This does not mean, listen to me, it does not mean elders do whatever they want to do. It doesn't mean they do things unilaterally. But what we see in the New Testament is elders leading, giving oversight, equipping and teaching and instructing. And the final authority in a local church belongs to that local congregation according to Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. So elders are tasked to give oversight. How do they do it? How do they do it? Well, first, 
He says, not this way, but this way. You notice first thing, not under compulsion, but willingly. So if I'm going to speak directly to the elders, elders, be willing to shepherd the flock. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have to, would have you do. So we shepherd the flock of God, not because we have to, but because we get to. It is a joy to shepherd this flock. It is an astounding privilege to serve as a shepherd of this flock. And that's the calling that all elders have, not because you have to, because you get to willingly, not under compulsion. Secondly, elders be eager to shepherd the flock. Do you see that? Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. We do it eagerly as as God would have us shepherd. Not because we want to make a lot of money. I mean, I don't know pastors who are laboring for a fat paycheck. If that's why they get into ministry, those are usually the folks on television and they're called prosperity gospel preachers. Not good. Avoid them as well. Pastors get paid. First Corinthians nine, but they're never, they're never laboring and shepherding for that purpose. Their aim is never money. Good shepherds care for the sheep and are eager to shepherd them. Jesus in John 10 talked about the difference between a good shepherd and a hireling. The one shepherd is willing to lay down his life for the sake of the sheep. And the other one is just in it for a payday. And Jesus says, that's, that's, a, that's a bad shepherd. That's a hireling. So third, elders, be an example as you shepherd the flock. Peter says in verse three, not domineering. Uh, your Bible may say not dominating the sheep in your charge, but being examples to the flock. If you're somebody who just wants to boss people around, you shouldn't be a pastor. Pastors are not the guys who are just bossing everybody around. You're not, you're, not, you're not called to dominate a congregation. You're called to lead by example. Now, how many of you have been in a situation where a leader, a boss, a spouse, a parent, maybe a friend, misused their authority in your life? That can be devastating, Right? And we see it in churches where pastors misuse or abuse authority. And it has dire implications, not only for the church, but ultimately for the witness of Jesus in the world. So if you want to be the guy who bosses everybody around, you shouldn't be a pastor. Pastors must not be violent, but gentle. First Timothy 3.3. Pastors are the Lord's servant and they must be not quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil and correcting even their opponents with gentleness. First Timothy, excuse me, second Timothy two twenty three. So let me just mention one other thing. It's not mentioned here, but Paul read it earlier in first Timothy three. In the New Testament, there's way more passages about what an elder is than what an elder does. There's way more emphasis on the character of a pastor 
versus his job description. What I mean by that is this. If you're looking for a pastor, don't first look at his resume. Don't look at his seminary papers. Look at his relationship with his wife. Look at his relationship with his children. Ask, does he have a good reputation with outsiders? Is he a godly husband? Is he a good daddy? Is he a good neighbor? When Paul was writing to a young pastor named Timothy, who was a little over his head in Ephesus, he said in 1 Timothy 4.12, he said, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faithfulness, and in purity. Now, when, when pastors especially read about this weighty calling of being a pastor, most of us want to turn in our resignations. <laughs> because you read these descriptions and you think, well, I'm not qualified, Right? Being a pastor and even these qualifications, they don't mean that you're perfect or sinless. But we should, by God's grace, we should, each one of us should, by God's grace, be able to look at the lives of faithful elders. Not because they're perfect, but we should be able to look at the lives of elders. See how they love their wives. See how they care for their children. See how they minister God's word. And we should be able to say, By watching them, watching their lives, watching their doctrine, I see an example of what it means to follow Jesus. The chief way that elders do this is by ministering God's word and laying their lives down for the sake of their sheep. Now, I mentioned when we read these qualifications, those who are serving as elders or aspiring to be elders, you likely will tremble. But I just want to point out one obvious thing that you may not notice. If you look at all of the qualifications of an elder, every single qualification of a pastor, with the exception of the apt to teach, every single one of those qualifications is also commanded of every Christian. So don't think of pastors as these super duper, you know, crazy, unbelievable Christians that you'll never be able to aspire to. The things that pastors are called to do in terms of character, we're all called to do, except for that apt to teach. So let me just mention, brothers at FBC, young and old, let me just ask you, do you aspire to be an elder? If you're a Christian, brother, are you aspiring to be an elder? And if not, why not? What's standing in your way of serving Christ in this way? Let me just say to the two brothers who are serving as elders right now, to Randy and to Marcus, I love you both dearly. And I want to remind you this morning that our sufficiency to serve as ministers of the new covenant is not from ourselves. It's from the Holy Spirit who made us ministers of the new covenant. And we thank God for that. So how do elders shepherd? They shepherd by exercising oversight and they do that willingly and eagerly 
and by his grace exemplarily. Number four, we're almost done. Why? 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 Why are elders supposed to do this work of shepherding in this manner? Answer, because of the chief shepherd. Look at verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Faithful elders and pastors and shepherds give themselves to shepherding the flock of God because they have a desire to glorify the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's been commonly mentioned that there's more burnout, I think, among pastors than any other profession. And Peter knows this. And so he, he lifts that weary head of any under-shepherd and points to the future. He points to the chief shepherd. Now, if you look in your Bibles, that phrase chief shepherd, another way to render this, I've mentioned this before, another way to render that phrase is chief shepherd is senior pastor. This is beautiful. So he's talking to under shepherds and he's saying, look forward to the chief shepherd, the senior pastor who's coming. And when he comes, if you faithfully serve him, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Now that's encouraging. There's only one senior pastor in the church, Jesus, the chief shepherd. He's the head of the church. He's the permanent senior pastor. Everyone else is an under shepherd who serves as an elder. Remember in chapter two, verse 25, he says, you have now returned to what? The shepherd and what? Overseer of your souls. Isn't that comforting? I remember a guy named Jared Wilson was serving as a pastor and someone asked him, they said, so you're the preacher? And he said, yes. And the guy said, so you're the guy with all the answers. And he said, no. I'm the guy who points to the guy. That's what pastors do. Pastors are under shepherds who are pointing to the senior pastor, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is encouraging for those who are laboring as elders. Listen to me. We labor, we work, we serve, we pray, we preach, we teach, we counsel, we admonish, we encourage, we exhort, we correct, we rebuke, we love, we lead, we guide, we feed, we weep, we rejoice for his sake. We do it for him. We serve him. We work for his approval. And we toil for the one who wore the crown of thorns. We toil for the one who promises a crown of glory. Peter says it's unfading, just like that inheritance that he described for each one of us who's in Christ. You have an unfading, kept in heaven, unsurpassing inheritance that's coming to you if you're in Christ. So why do elders shepherd the flock? Because of Jesus, the chief shepherd. Number five, so what? So what? How do we respond? Verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. 
Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So here's the so what. What does all this stuff have to do with you? What does it have to do with your following Jesus? Answer, Peter gives direct application to a subset of the congregation and then the whole congregation. First, he says to the younger, you see that? To the younger. Now, it's not clear if younger means like age-wise younger, like the youth, younger folks in the church, or whether it's used as a description of those who are younger in the faith. Could be either one. But he calls the younger to submit or to be subject to the elders. And then he says to the whole congregation to show humility towards one another because God, he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So the the application is a humble submission to godly leadership. That's what Peter's so what is. How, How should you respond to faithful, not perfect, but faithful, godly, Christ glorifying Leadership, shepherding, answer, humbly, trusting, obeying, submitting. Another passage you might want to write down. If you write in your Bibles, write this verse down. Hebrews 13, 17. Same thing, different way of putting it. Listen to what Hebrews says. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Same verb. Obey your leaders and submit to them. And he gives the reason why. Why you think you hear that and you think submit, obey? Mm. He, give, he gives the reason why. For they are keeping watch over your souls. As those, listen, who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see, you obey and you submit to godly leadership because the shepherds of this flock will stand before Jesus Christ on the last day and give an account for how we have shepherded your souls. And writer of Hebrews says, do that to make it a joy and not a burden. So brothers and sisters, you have imperfect shepherds. (laughs) I think Randy and Marcus and myself would all say we're imperfect. You are a very patient and loving and godly congregation. And it is a joy to serve as one of your shepherds. And I can speak for the elders when I say we long to get you down the aisle to meet the bridegroom. And we know that we will stand before Jesus on the last day. We will give an account for how we've cared for your souls. And so we pray and we plead that you would pray for us to be better elders, to be better faithful shepherds, that God would give us wisdom as we do that. And we pray for ourselves that as a church, we would 
grow in rightly responding to godly leadership. And we pray that God would continue to raise up even more elders in this flock. More shepherds to shepherd this congregation in the days to come. I love the way John Newton put it. Listen to his description of our chief shepherd. Like sheep, we are weak and destitute and defenseless and prone to wander and unable to return. And we are always surrounded with wolves. But all is made up in the fullness, ability, wisdom, compassion, care, and faithfulness of our great shepherd. He guides, he protects, he feeds, he heals, he restores, and he will be our guide and our God even to death. And then, I love this part, and then he will meet us He will receive us and he will present us to himself and we shall be near him and we shall be made like him and we shall be with him forever. No matter what, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd of his church. He speaks tenderly to the sheep and the sheep hear his voice and the sheep follow him because they know The sound of his voice. Jesus knows his own and his own know him. And the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep calls wandering sheep to receive him in the empty hands of faith. To trust him. In response to his voice. He's the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. And he walks by our side through the valley of the shadow of death. And his rod and his staff comforts us. And our chief shepherd will finally one day appear. And he will grant glory and honor to all who followed him by faith in this world. And truly on that day, he will bring all of his sheep into one fold and there he will be our one shepherd and we will be his one flock and the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will be our shepherd and he will guide us to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from our eye. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and heavenly father, we thank you for our chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you grant to us your word that tells us how to live and conduct ourselves in the household of God. Lord, we pray that you would not only bless the elders of this church, but that you would raise up by your Holy Spirit more shepherds to shepherd this flock. And we pray, Lord God, you would keep our eyes as a congregation fixed 
on the Lord Jesus Christ, the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. It's in his name we pray. Amen.